2 Thessalonians here, chapter 3. Dustin, if you want to go ahead and put that first slide up. We're finishing up 2 Thessalonians tonight. And just remember this for future reference. I did tell you that we're going to try to do it in three weeks, and we're going to do it in three weeks. So, outline of 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 1 was, what is the day of the Lord? Chapter 2 was, what are the details of the day of the Lord? And chapter 3 tonight, what is our reaction to the day of the Lord? Real quick review here. If you remember, the day of the Lord is that time of judgment, uh, where the Lord begins His judgment coming out upon the earth. And that's what the book of 2 Thessalonians is all about here. The main topic is this idea of the day of the Lord. And can you go to the next slide here real quick, Dustin? These are a couple of verses that we've been going on about the day of the Lord. Acts 2.20, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And 2 Peter 3.10 talks about coming as a thief in the night and the heavens passing away and the earth being burned up. And then we talked about how this is a day of judgment. And I encourage you, if you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, go back and grab those CDs or listen to them online. We got into a lot of details of what the day of the Lord is. What is this time of judgment? What is this tribulation? period that is coming upon the earth. And last week, can go to the last slide here real quick. In chapter 2, we talked about what it is and how there's a falling away. We talked about that. And then we talked about the rise of the Antichrist. And then lastly, the judgment that is coming. And that's what chapter 2 was. And that's a brief overview of what gets us now to chapter 3 here tonight. Now, it's all fine and dandy to talk about this stuff. And we talked about this in week 1, how you get extremes in Christianity. You get the one extreme of the only thing that people want to talk about is the end of the world. Of the rapture coming, of Jesus returning, who the Antichrist is, and all this other type of stuff. And it's important to have a working knowledge of that. We talked about that. But yet our main emphasis is to see souls get saved in Christ. That's the reason we're here. So it's not that we want to ignore it, but we want to make sure the emphasis is eternal salvation of people. You can spend your whole life talking about these things and almost forget to go out and share Christ with people. But the other extreme is I know people that say something to the fact of, well, I'm not going to be here, so what difference does it make? Well, the Bible wants us to have a working knowledge of this, and the reason he wants us to have a working knowledge of this is because these things do come up in conversation. And as believers, we need to have a working knowledge of what this means, that Jesus is returning. These are not just words that we're throwing out there. Christ is returning. What does that mean? What does that represent? And how do we then take this information? How does it affect us personally as Christians? But how does it also affect how we deal with the unbelieving world? And that's what tonight's about, is taking this information and going with it. And we're going to continue on this theme. Because uh, we are, after the book of Second Thessalonians here, Lord willing, time willing, we'll finish this tonight. Next week we'll start a new book, and uh, we're going to be going into the book of Revelation next week. Next, so we're going to start that, and that gives us a nice little introduction to the book of Revelation. Now, a lot of times when you look at the book of Revelation, you think it's all end times. There's a lot of end times in Revelation, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of good practical stuff in that book too. So we're going to be starting Revelation next week here to kind of keep building on this, which works out nicely because Sunday... We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is all about the falling away at the end time. So all these lessons are coming together, which are a nice introduction to what we're going to do next week here, starting with Revelation. So with this being said, we've talked about what is the day of the Lord. We've talked about the importance of it. What's our reaction to it? Well, let's look at this. First things first, jump to chapter 2 here of uh, First Thessalon excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at uh, verse 1. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Stay with that mindset and just jump ahead to verses 16 and 17 of the same chapter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us every lasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts. 
establish you in every good word and work. An importance of comfort right there. Now, before we go any further here, let's just have just a quick word of prayer. Lord, as we just do come into this lesson, we pray that as always, Lord, you would teach and we would listen through your spirit. You would guide and direct. And as we get ready to talk about these things and the comfort that you give, it only can come through you, Lord. And we just want to pray for this understanding. And as always, Lord, pray that you would teach and we would listen in your name. Amen. First thing, is it supposed to be comforting? Now think about that. You generally can divide people into two groups. Jesus is returning. Either A, finally, I'm excited, good, I'm ready to be done with the physical, the emotional, the spiritual pain of life. Or B, are you sure? I don't know if I'm ready for this. See, it's supposed to be a comfort. I always tell people, if, if you're getting scared about the return of Christ, either A, you're not really understanding what it means, or, or B, you don't want to meet Jesus. <laughs> because as a believer, when you understand what it means that Jesus is returning, it just fills you with such a comfort to know finally. When, when I first got saved 18 years ago, they always talked about the return of Jesus. And I noticed that all the believers were always excited about Christ coming back. So I was excited about Christ coming back. I didn't understand it. And so they're excited, I'm excited. That's just what I want to be. Well, then the longer I walked with the Lord, the more I started thinking, okay, Jesus is coming back. I really don't understand what this means, this whole return of Christ thing. And, and you know, and there was, I'll be honest, there was thoughts of, okay, what's so horrible about this world that I just need to be taken out just like this? Well, now that I've gotten older and now that there's just things going on in my family with my kids and, and everything, I fully understand now. Boy, Jesus, if you want to return right now, it's really good. Just to end any type of emotional or spiritual or physical pain, to know that in an instant, it's all over. Eternity in heaven. To know that in an instant, all my loved ones that are born again and saved and walking with Christ are now safe in the arms of Jesus for all of eternity. That, that is a comfort. It's an absolute comfort. I've, I've shared this story with you before, and forgive me for the repetition, but Judah has been saying recently how much he just wants to go to heaven. And he always wants to go to heaven. And he says, how do you get to heaven? Well, you know you believe in Jesus. Okay, yeah, but how do you get to heaven? Well, when you die, you go to heaven. And Judah's response always is, well, what's the other one? Not the one where you die. That's the rapture. He, he doesn't want to do the one where you die. He wants to do the other one. And isn't that the way it is? Lord, I want to see you so bad, but I want to do the other one. Can't we just do the rapture one? We're in an instant, just twinkling of an eye, it's done. Can you imagine that? In an instant, no more physical pain, no more emotional anguish, no more spiritual pain, no more heartache, no more burdens, no more anything. For the rest of eternity, you're home and you're done. The comfort. That's the way we're supposed to look at this thing. First off is our reaction. It's a comfort. It's not supposed to be anything that scares us. And this is a phrase that's repeated throughout First and Second Thessalonians. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, which you don't need to turn there, therefore comfort one another with these words. First Thessalonians 5, verse 11, therefore comfort each other with this. Comfort. Now when somebody says, boy, just imagine he could return. Yeah, he could. This is the comfort that comes. A lot of times I tell people in counseling, they get really worked up about something. I'll say, you know, Christ could return before that thing happens. What a comfort. Now, building on the comfort, what else does he give us with this? Well, look in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The way Paul ends this book talking about the day of the Lord is peace. There's a peace knowing you're not going to be abandoned and left behind. There's a peace knowing that you're not going to be forgotten about, which then gives us the comfort of knowing he's returning. See, you don't want to be left. You don't want to be left. Trust me. We were in uh, Toledo. It's been a couple months ago taking care of some stuff, and we were riding an elevator. 
And the elevator was one of those glass elevators where you could look out the side and see everything going up and down. So we were all in the elevator. And as we get out of the elevator, uh, the elevator doors close and we hear Elias start screaming. He was left on the elevator because, and we haven't got him back yet. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was not, that was not funny. Uh, go back and take that off the CD, please. Um, he was watching the window. He was watching out the elevator. He's watching the scenery. And so we all get out of the elevator and we're all going. And all of a sudden you turn around and there's this, this tragic scene of Elias turning, looking, his face just filled with horror and the doors just shutting. And I sometimes think about that when it comes to the rapture. I, I'm just enjoying the scenery, Lord. Man, the longer I walk with the Lord, the scenery is not as great as it used to be. And I don't really want to have my back to the rapture and watch the scenery. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting because what a comfort and a peace knowing that he's going to return. Now, it's important to note at this point that the result of this comfort and peace is not that we run to the hills and just look up high and say, okay, Lord, I'm waiting. The Bible says we occupy till he comes. That there's a responsibility that we just don't sit here and say, hey, I don't have to pay my mortgage. Jesus is returning. Hey, I don't have to go to work anymore. Jesus is returning. Occupy till I come, he says, because the key point of us being here is salvation. Look at verse 13 of chapter 2. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What matters most is souls getting saved. And that's what we're here to do. We're not here to just tread water, twiddle our thumbs, and just wait until Jesus returns. We're here to see the gospel go out into the world, and then whenever Jesus decides to return, we're just ready. We're ready. So the key emphasis is salvation. Too often I run into Christians that have such an eternal perspective on the return of Christ, they forget that they're living in this world. And once again, occupy till I come. Keeping that perspective of the reason I'm here is to see souls get saved. So it's a comfort for us. It's a peace for us. But our main emphasis is still salvation. Now, what are we actually supposed to do with this information? What are our actions that's supposed to happen? Well, take a look in chapter 2, verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. See, I know what's going to happen. I know how the story ends. So therefore, I can stand fast. I can stay strong. I'm not on the losing side. I know that Christ is going to return. I know when the day of the Lord happens that all the wrongs are going to be made right. I know that the evil will be judged. I know the righteous will be saved. I know what's going to happen. So therefore, I can stand fast. So, and what do we do to help us stand fast? Verse 15, hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. That's why we take time on Wednesday night and Sunday mornings and also through the week with small groups is to teach, to help us stand fast. So therefore, we are taught the word, and as we're taught the word, we go out and tell people about Jesus Christ, but then also it encourages us and reminds us that this is just a temporary place. Now, the Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. The Bible says we're a sojourner. We're just passing through. It's just a temporary thing. Now, in the whole scheme of our mortal lives, the 70, 80, 90, 100 years we're down in this world sure doesn't seem like a blip on the radar screen. But our lives on this world compared to our eternity are just a drop in the bucket. And so therefore, I hold fast to what I have been taught, to the truth of God's word, because that's what's going to get me through. When the world starts throwing a bunch of junk at me and I'm ready to give up, I hold fast. I know the truth. I know he's returning. I know what's going to happen. I'm ready for it. Last week we talked about the day of the Lord, and one of the things we talked about how in the end times there's a falling away. 
the false teaching pops up. The Bible calls it the doctrines of demons. Well, as that false teaching starts creeping in, well, verse 15, I can hold fast because I've been taught the truth through God's Word. So therefore, when those crazy, and I tell you guys, it's just getting stranger and stranger out there, the false teachings that you hear. Stranger and stranger. As this false teaching starts coming in, we've been taught the truth so we can say, you know what, that's just junk. I'm not even going to give it the time of the day because I've been taught the truth through the Holy Spirit and God's Word, so therefore I can hold fast and not allow that junk to get in. Well, if we've been taught the truth, what do we do with the truth? Well, verse 12. It says, now, excuse me, verses 1 and 2 of uh, chapter 3. It says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. What is Paul praying here in verse 1? That the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. He's praying that things could be taught, the truth could be spread. See, what good does it do to be taught, verse 15, if you're not going to do anything with what you've been taught? The reason we get together and we study the Bible individually and also corporately in church is so therefore we can take the knowledge that we have learned to then go do what? Do verse 1 of chapter 3. Let it run in the world. See, too often I see Christians come in, get taught, well, then they just go home. We're here to edify and encourage and instruct, so that way when you leave this building, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, wherever you run into, if you remember our study from 2 Corinthians, whatever your sphere of influence is, you can make an impact with that sphere of influence, and you can go then tell them about Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to do, is to be taught, to be instructed, and then to go tell people about Christ. That's the only purpose that we're here. And when you keep it that simple, it's amazing how much junk goes out the window. Think about that. With your relationships, with your spouse, your co-workers, your friends and family, when you have this mindset of Christ is returning, I am here to be taught and stand fast in the truth and to tell people about Christ, all those little things that used to get you upset and ticked about, they really just don't matter anymore. It really doesn't matter because what matters most are souls being saved, keeping that perspective. Here's the problem that we run into. We get sidetracked really, really easy. Look at verse 6 of chapter 3. But we command you, brethren... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we may not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have an authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Now, what this is saying is don't get sidetracked, verse 6 by those that are walking disorderly and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. Now, this doesn't mean that your unsaved loved ones, you just don't talk to them and you ignore them. No, it's not what it's saying at all. But if time is really short and you only have so much time to work on things, you really want to watch what you do, where you spend your time and how you spend it because you don't want to get pulled down into things that are going to cause problems spiritually. You just don't want to. So therefore, Paul's warning to them is withdraw from those things that cause problems. Now just stop and ask yourself this simple question. Is there anything in your life, be it a person or an activity or a thought or whatever, that takes you away from your relationship with Christ? Very simply put, if there's something going on in your life that is hindering you or hurting you spiritually, withdraw from it. In fact, in the book of 1 John, it says that we're not supposed to be ashamed at the coming of Christ. Because that means we're spiritually ready and prepared for Him. So if there's something in our life that's causing a problem, we withdraw from that and say, okay, Lord, we don't want it to be an issue. Because I want to be so focused on You, so since I'm focused on You, I'm being diligent to stay focused on what You called me to do. Let's keep building on this. Look at verse 10. 
For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. See, some people are not being pulled away, verse 6, that they need to withdraw from. Some people, well, if you really look at verses 10 through uh, 12 there, they're just lazy. There's a spiritual laziness about them that they're, verse 11, a busybody. They're not caring about the things of God or the things of Christ. They're only caring about themselves or what's going on with other people. All their energy is focused into what everybody else is doing, so therefore none of their energy is focused into spreading the gospel of Christ. Now just ask yourself that. What's your main focus in life? Is your main focus in life what everybody else is doing? Is your main focus in life seeing Jesus be uplifted? We don't want the busybody. There's busybodies all over the place. There's busybodies in the world. There's busybodies where you work. There's busybodies in your neighborhood. We don't need them in the church. We don't. Those people that are always focused on what everybody else is doing are just wasting their time and energy towards spreading the gospel. So therefore, Paul tells them, Actually, he doesn't tell them, verse 12. Now, those who are such, we command. We command. Paul says, tell them. Get their focus back. Where's your focus? If time is really short, if we really believe that time is short, then our focus should be in our sphere that God has given us, making the biggest spiritual impact we can, being the husbands or wives God has called us to be, raising godly kids, being a light and a witness to unsaved co-workers and friends and family members, not being the busybody, but staying focused. The problem is, it gets really tiring, doesn't it? Hence verse 13. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Are you getting tired? I mean, is it just tired constantly trying to do what's right and constantly trying to do what's good, constantly trying to do this? Paul says, I know. He goes, but don't grow weary. Another example that he uses in the book of 2 Timothy is that you're running a race and that you see the finish. He says, finish strong. See, what happens here, Jesus is returning. If we truly believe that the return of Christ could be near, we want to finish strong. Let's not grow weary. I'm sick and tired of this. I'm so tired. Of it. I'm giving up. I'm quitting. My goodness, don't. I've shared this story with you before that um, when they were trying to be the first person to scale Mount Everest uh, years ago, that one of the guys got within 80 foot of the peak of Mount Everest. 80 foot. And he turned around and went back. 80 foot. Why did he not finish it? Well, the truth of the matter was he didn't know exactly where he was. He got that close to the peak to be the first man. Who was the first guy? If I remember, it was Sir Edmund Hillary, if I remember correctly. So he could have been known in the Chronicles of History as the first man to clown, crying Mount Everest. Instead, he got within 80 foot and he turned on and went back. Sometimes I look at that spiritually and I think, gosh, isn't that happening in the body of Christ? You see somebody get within 80 foot of the goal and they stop. God says, don't grow weary in doing good. You're so close to seeing the fruit. You're so close to seeing it. Don't grow weary. Verse 14, if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person. Do not keep company with him, lest he, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. That word admonish means to warn them. See, this is a problem we have in the body of Christ. When we see somebody who claims to be a Christian, and they're usually not living the life like they're supposed to, we usually treat them like an enemy. You know, I think there's some Christians that would love to bring back public stonings. They would have a lot of fun with that. Let's just pick out the person that's the worst and let's make an example out of them. Paul says right here in verse 15, don't count them as an enemy. I see that too often in church, that when you see somebody falling away from the truth, well, they're an enemy. Paul says they're not an enemy. They need to be warned. 
Now, verse 14, you have to watch your company with them. You have to be careful around them because you don't want your witness to be hurt. You don't want to be brought down to their level. But yet, verse 15, they are not the enemy. They need to be warned in love. The book of Ephesians says you speak the truth in love. It's not fun to speak the truth in love sometimes. It's sometimes easier to let things go, but you can't. You love them enough to speak the truth and you warn them. Because if we believe that the return of Christ is on our hearts, then we also want to warn those and say, we want you to be spiritually ready and prepared as well too. So we care enough about you to go tell you we care. And what's the result of all this again? Let's look at verse 16 one more time. And may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Isn't that a great sum up? Peace. Christ's return, it's a comfort to us. It brings a peace to us. It encourages us to stand fast in truth and doctrine. It encourages us to go out there and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because we believe time is short. And it also encourages us to stay focused and to stay diligent and not to get caught up in the things of the world and to stay true to what Jesus has called us to do. That is what it's supposed to do. It's a cleansing thing. We've used this example many times before. If you know someone is coming over to your house, what do you do? You get your house cleaned up. So that way you're ready to meet them at the door and let them come in. Same thing. We know Christ is coming back. I want my temple, I want this house to be cleaned and ready for him. So that way when he comes back, I'm not ashamed. And when he knocks on the door, I can open the door. I'm ready. I'm ready to meet him. I'm ready for him to come in and be the Savior for all of eternity that we prayed into our hearts. So the day of the Lord is not something there to fear. It's something as believers that's supposed to comfort us and encourage us and bring us peace. And I will say this, if someone is not saved, yeah. It is there. It does scare you. It is a fearful thing. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But as believers, it's a comfort and a peace that gives us strength to get through the days that we face and reminds us to hold fast, spread the gospel, and stay focused and diligent in all that we do. Don't allow the little things of the world to bring you down. It's not worth it. we got all of eternity here. That's what matters. Let's not be a busybody. Let's not get worked up about things that don't matter. Let's stay focused and diligent on the prize at hand and keep looking towards the finish line. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up? Yeah, Carly. We'll do. We'll keep Jacob in prayer there for salvation. That's a good prayer request. Anybody else have any other questions or comments here before we close up? All right, well, I hope you can uh, start with us next week. We're going to start the book of Revelation next week. Uh, always a fun book, always an exciting book. And uh, it's always good to get on the base ground floor with a book like that, and a lot of good stuff will come out of that. So let's pray and take these things to the Lord. Heavenly Fathers, we just come to you. We just do pray that we would do exactly as your word says. Look to your return as a comfort and a peace to know that this could all be over, Lord. But Lord, at the same time as you tarry and we wait for your return, help us to do what your word says, to stay fast in doctrine, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to stay focused and diligent on you, Lord. Help us not to have the things of the world pull us down. Oh, Lord, it's so easy to do that. But Lord, we just want to pray for just your hand to be upon us and just keep us focused in all ways and all things. And Lord, just one more time, we do want to pray for salvation for Jacob. We want to pray for health and healing on Jerome and also for Marlene too with that scan on Friday, health and healing for her. And Lord, we just are thankful for what you've done and what you're going to do. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. One other thing here, not trying to embarrass, but I'm going to embarrass him for a second. Dak is taking off, you said Sunday, right? Yes. So Dak's taking off, so if you get a chance, say goodbye to Dak before he heads back up. Where are you heading back up to? Going to Great Lakes then. Okay. Well, good you can be back for a little bit. And uh, Dak's in the Navy there, so if you get a chance, say hi to him before he takes off again. So, all right, you guys have a good week, and God bless then.